0: Well, hello friends and welcome to episode 93 of the burden of command podcast i'm your host earl brian i've got a special guest in this episode now i know i say that about all my guests because i do think all my guests are special but this one uh is especially special his name is robertson hunter stewart now you may already tell by that strong sounding name that this is going to be a, a son of scotland here uh, but, you know, the thing is, is at the end of each episode, I always give out my uh, burden.command at gmail.com email address. And I urge people to reach out to me and let me know if they have a story idea or if they'd uh, like to be a guest on the show themselves. And, you know, we can work that out. Well, Robert did. He reached out to me. He actually reached out to me uh, on social media, uh, Twitter, and we set things up for this interview. And uh, when he introduced himself and I heard his story about growing up in Scotland and then moving to Paris and being in the hospitality industry, what we would call it here in the States, the hospitality industry, and his ideas behind employee empowerment, I said, yeah, this is going to be a great guest for the show. So uh, he is an author, uh, an accomplished uh, individual in the hospitality industry across uh, parts of the UK and Europe. Uh, He's got a lot of experience behind him, and he's got a new book, Employee Power Unleashed, How to Gain Competitive Advantage by Treating Your Employees Well. I highly recommend picking up a a copy of the book. Uh, You can find it on Amazon, but I'll have a link to that in the show notes. But I think you're going to love this interview. Like, Robert is just a great guy. You can tell he truly believes what he's saying and that he has some experience to back up his claims. So, with that, I'm going to get out of the way and let you get into this outstanding interview with Robertson Hunter Stewart. All right, folks, hello, and welcome to this episode of the Burden of Command podcast. As I said in a pre-roll with a bio, uh, today's guest is Mr. Rob Stewart. Rob, thanks for being with us today.
1: Well, thank you, Errol. Appreciate the invitation today.
0: Oh, no, I'm I'm looking forward to this, uh, and I'm especially looking forward to your answer to, to the foundational question of this podcast. When you hear the phrase burden of command, what does that mean to somebody like you with your background and experience?
1: Well, what it really means to me, it's all about uh, responsibility, yeah? Um, but what I mean by responsibility is the responsibility of the people that work with you and for you. Uh, so in terms of being uh, responsible for al- already in the workplace, for being responsible for their physical safety, yeah? But also for their uh, psychological safety, yeah? So in terms of being a burden, yeah, of course, sometimes, yeah, you're, you're responsible for the safety of, of your people. Yeah. So this can often, uh, you know, if we're talking about even the physical aspect and can cause worry, uh, you know, you have to make sure the workplace is safe for people to be there. Yeah. And uh, you're responsible for that. And also the psychological part really to ensure uh, that there's no kind of toxicity uh, in the workplace. Yeah. No kind of psychological drama going on. No harassment that people aren't being harassed or bullied at work. I think that's a big responsibility today.
0: No, I love that you hit on a lot of a lot of key uh, key elements there, and I especially like the you know the the safety take—not just physical safety, but that kind of mental, uh, social, and psychological safety. That that's extremely that's extremely valuable. So I'm glad you you hit on that. So thanks for sharing that. Um, now, you know, as, uh, as my listeners heard in the pre-roll, I kind of gave your bio a little bit there, but I don't think it did your story justice. Cause I'm sure my listeners have already kind of picked up on, uh, kind of a mix of, of accents and stuff there. So, you know, w- what was your, uh, I guess you say early journey like,
1: well, my, my earlier journey uh, was in Scotland. So I'm from uh, St. Andrew's in Scotland. Uh, so the home of golf, of course, uh, worldwide, and uh, so well known by by a lot of Americans, yeah. right? <laughs> and uh, and my first my first love uh, was science, actually, when I was at college, when I was at university, uh, and I, I majored in chemistry. Uh, but when I came out of uh, of college, uh, I realised, you know, in spite of all the studies and stuff, it really wasn't uh, what really. Uh, excited me. Yeah? Uh, in actual fact, uh, I started off in finance. Yes, yeah? so as a financial advisor in Scotland. I worked in uh, St. Andrews and in Edinburgh in Scotland. Uh, and then when I was 30 years old, uh, something a uh, tremendous thing happened in my life where uh, where I met. Uh, I met my uh, my wife to be who is still my wife today. Uh, she was visiting. Uh, she was visiting Scotland uh, from France. Uh, and uh, basically, uh, well, met the love of my life <laughs> in St. Andrews uh, on a weekend. And uh, basically, uh, dropped everything because she had to go back and finish uh, her studies in France. We couldn't see each other enough. So I dropped everything and emigrated, if I can say that, to, to France to be with her. Um, and because at the time I didn't speak any French, then I had to learn French. Uh, and learning French, uh, I had to. Uh, get a job, obviously, you know, you don't live uh, on fresh water and love for too long. Uh, So so I got a job uh, at Disneyland Paris, uh, which was opening in 92. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's where I started my management journey, if you can say, because that's where I started to fall in love with the hospitality industry, the service industry and uh, start to learn about being a manager. Yeah,
0: Yeah. no, no. And I I like that because, you know, I'm sure uh, things are very similar uh, over uh, across the pond in your neck of the woods, uh, where this whole epidemic has really kind of turned uh, that hospitality and, and you know service industry kind of on its head with some of the restrictions and stuff. And I would imagine uh, managing in that environment has been particularly tricky with all that, right?
1: Yes. Uh, it's, 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 I'm not actively in the, industry, the hospitality industry anymore. But obviously, I have uh, you know twenty five years of experience in in the hospitality industry, uh, and as uh, as part of my later journey, I was uh, running hotels with like eight hundred employees and so forth. And one of those hotels, just to come to your point and your question, uh, which has got uh, you know nearly nearly a thousand employees, actually a thousand room hotel in the centre of Paris, and, and they're having to let some people go just now. You know about half the staff. So this is a uh, on a on a from a human point of view, this is a uh, Terrible situation, you know. So, yeah, the pandemic's caused a lot of grief in the hospitality industry, and particularly, uh, I think we're going to see uh, afterwards in, in that industry, other service industries, and connected industries, we're going to see uh, a social problem, you know, that's that's going to appear uh, due to problems with employment in that sector, yeah.
0: Right, right. Well, and and, and you know, I kind of asked that question as kind of a setup because I know you you have a uh, uh, we share a passion, if you will uh for you know planning strategy and mm-hmm. and tactics and yeah. uh i would imagine uh you know your friends still in the industry that the folks that paid the best attention to those areas are probably ones that have been able to to survive the best through this pandemic right
1: mm-hmm. yeah i think i think i think it's, it's a lot to do with planning yeah it's, it's obviously uh well no one could have foreseen of course uh the the um the pandemic or at least the effects of the pandemic but in terms of uh planning and strategy into and to to be uh, uh, agile in terms of strategy the very first thing that has to happen there has to be a plan yeah uh, and as i like to say uh, you know it's, uh, it's planning uh, you know if you're not planning uh, not planning is the same thing as planning to fail if you like right. yeah so so for me uh plans should always contain yeah um Paris and the plan which are agile, which means that they can, you know, whether context changes dramatically, yeah, that this, the hotel can still react to that somehow, yeah, or the business, whichever kind of business we're talking about, can have some sort of agility where they can react and turn around, yeah. Uh, you know, there are obviously there are limits on this kind of strategy, yeah, because you know the the, the problem for certain uh, businesses in Paris uh, is because the uh, the fixed costs were so high, yeah. Uh, that there's no way to, to to get around this yeah and really they have to look at, uh, they have to look at other areas yeah
0: Well yeah and, and I think you said something there that is extremely valuable and and uh, well you said a lot there is extremely valuable. the one thing you, you really mentioned there that I think a lot of people fail to grasp the importance of when they're planning is is that agility. you know planning is not a a rigid structure, right?
1: no it's not at all and 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 i think it's it's a lot of the times we, if we speak about young managers one of the you know, managers management strategies one of my one of the things i really love and when we're talking about management strategy one thing that's often forgotten is that the uh when they when they're doing the, the the planning uh there's got to be contingency plans in there uh, right at the start yeah um so for example you know when they're uh, planning their objectives for a year. That's great. Yeah, We can all plan objectives for a year or two to three years or five years, yeah, let's say. Yeah? Uh, but at the end of the day, yeah, these periods are quite long. Even a year is quite long, yeah? Uh, and, you know, if you're speaking, take the example of what's happened now, yeah? You imagine some of these guys last year, they were planning their objectives, yeah? Uh, and they might be planning to have, uh, let's let's uh, you know, if it's a production industry, let's increase production by uh, 30%. Uh, Let's increase the occupancy of our hotel by, uh, you know, by 10%. Let's increase uh, revenues, whichever business we're talking about. Yes, whichever service industry or production we're talking about. Let's increase things. But then with the pandemic hitting, yeah, uh, they're, you know, they're going to really have to start to relook at those objectives. Now, they have to have mechanisms in place to allow them to do that. Uh, and one of the mechanisms in, in my last my last book, actually, the subject of the book is uh, to carry out one to one discussions on a very regular basis with your management teams.
0: Yeah, no, and and uh, so just to let the listeners know, uh, Rob actually has two books out: one to one and employee power. And uh, you know, I like this one to one concept because you know it's not. So th- there's an importance for the leader to champion, if you will, the planning process, but yeah. there's not a leader on the planet that can by themselves come up with the plan, right?
1: Uh, no, it doesn't exist. You know, it's, it's, uh, I, I, you know, from my experience, in any case, when, when you're planning, you know, planning a strategy, the absolutely best way to do it is to be uh, in a participative management mode yeah because you need uh you know no general manager as i've been a, a general manager for most of my career uh, and no general manager whichever industry we're talking about yeah has all the expertise yeah you've got let's let's imagine you know you've got your 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 finance director you've got your hr director you've got your sales and marketing guy uh you might have your maintenance guy which, which you were talking to industry, your production manager, all these guys around you, yeah. Now you need to be listening to those guys because those those are the ones that really know, uh, you know, in their in each in their area, they have the expertise, not you, and you have to be able to listen to them, yeah. You have to obviously have sufficient understanding to understand what they're talking about, but you don't need the same level of expertise, yeah. And it's one of the biggest mistakes of young managers is trying to be an expert everywhere, yeah. It's
0: just not possible. No, no. I mean, it'd be nice if it is. And, you know. Yeah, it uh, would be. Yeah. I mean, we'd all love to have that superpower. But, you know, just kind of a, a really good example of what Rob's talking about here is, you know, one of the, th- this planning piece is kind of one of the unsung heroes, if you will, of of the early NASA program here in the U.S. Uh, when, when you hear those tapes and you, you see Uh, the movies and they show these individuals making, you know, literally split second decisions. You know, Gene Cran said it's not because we had the the smartest people on the planet. We had the best planning on the planet because they were able to make those decisions in that split second, you know, these go no go life or death decisions because they had planned and they'd ran through these scenarios and they knew uh, what each one of those meant, and they were adaptable because of the amount of planning they put in place beforehand. Yeah. And, and how do you get organizations, I'm asking kind of uh, from your experience yeah. there, how do you get organizations to understand how valuable that amount of effort really is to their future?
1: Well, I think one of the things that has to happen is that, you know, if, if I place an awful lot of importance on on, uh, on structuring the, the, the meeting with people, yeah? Uh, meeting on a one-to-one basis with people, yeah? Because at the end of the day, uh, those, those conversations, those relationships, yeah, are based on trust and they're built, uh, you know, they're really built one conversation at a time, yeah? Mm-hmm. So those conversations, yeah, have to take place often enough so that the people have uh, the opportunity uh, to change. Uh, what I mean by that is to be adaptable. As coming back to what you were saying is, uh, in fact, if we've made the objectives at the beginning of the year, we Have to see each other often enough during the year to have the opportunity to rediscuss. Uh, because, an example I like to take is uh, in uh, 2008 with the financial crisis, yeah, uh, the, hit, yeah the subprime uh, crisis, yeah. We all had plans for the amount of money we were going to make that year, uh, whichever industry we were in, and, and all those plans <laughs> basically fell to pieces, yeah. But there had to be, at the beginning, some kind of contingency plan and the ability. During the year, you know, over the months that followed, to meet often enough with people so that they could then tell you what they were planning to do. You know, even if we were talking about a planet, uh, you know, a profit protection plan, whatever we were talking about, yeah. But you need to be listening to the people because they know uh, what requires to be done in those situations. Yeah. But that uh, I'm going to say that culture of having these one-to-one meetings has to be, as as you said earlier. People can't do things on their own, so that needs to go throughout the company and the organization, especially big organizations, yeah? Those meetings need to be taking place at every level, yeah? Not just with the general manager or the CEO with his executive team, but also with all the middle management, it's crucial, and then, of course, with the supervisors and the guys, if I can say that, on the shop floor, they're actually doing the job, yeah? It has to be at all levels, This this culture of one-to-one and individual management
0: right? yeah no absolutely and and i love that you kind of focus on trust there because that's a big thing right especially when you set out and and you make these grand plans and use the metrics like you mentioned we want to increase and increase occupancy by say 10 percent or whatever mm-hmm. is that does that manager at the local level have the trust and faith that they're going to be able to go to you know the regional or district or even corporate manager and say look uh, you know, thanks to COVID, we're actually down 50% instead of hitting that 10% yeah. increase.
1: Well, that trust has to exist because uh, <clears throat> if that trust doesn't exist, it's, it's what's it's part of what I call the empowerment triangle. Yeah, this trust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the, the empowerment triangle is like it's a three legged beast or a three legged stool, if you like. Yeah. You have uh, training, you have to train your people properly, then you have to give them the tools to do their job. And then you have to give them the trust just to let them get on with the job, yeah?
0: Right.
1: And if one of those three elements is missing, yeah, you can't empower your people. There's no autonomy. It's just not possible. Because if one of them, say, let's say, for example, the, the, the training's missing, yeah? They haven't been trained to do the job correctly. Like, they don't know uh, how to talk up, yeah? For example, how to, you know, to manage their boss. So they don't know right. how to give this message to their boss. They're not being trained for that. The communication won't go uh, that you mentioned earlier. They won't go and talk to the person that they're supposed to talk to, yeah? Uh, The tools for the job, yeah? If you've just not given them the the correct uh, management or leadership training, yeah? So they know how to deal with situations. They know how to become agile. And they know uh, when it is that they have to ask for permission, yeah? And at what point exactly that is, yeah? And then trust is really about the fact that, you know, when the guys they've got the tools, they've had the training, yeah, just step back, let them go on with it, yeah? Because if you do anything else, we, we're straight away into what I would like to call, and I think a lot of people do call, uh, micromanagement, yeah, basically.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and it's not just the trust to do the job, kind of like the basic understanding of the job. It's the that trust to be able to do those innovative things and, and, and like what you said, knowing where... The, the boundary is between being able to take initiative and do the right thing and being able to, and knowing when to yeah. have to ask, uh, you know, for permission, but being entrusted to know the difference. And, yeah. and in customer service that can often make, that can often make or break the interaction, right? I, I've shared the oh, story. Yeah. Absolutely. Just, go ahead.
1: Sorry. 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 It's, absolutely. It just, it just came to our mind. Just now that, yeah, obviously when, when, uh, you know, because if the guy, if the guy doesn't know, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen if you go into a, any store or a shop or a hotel or whatever service industry where you're expecting service, yeah, uh, and something unusual happens. And as a guest yeah, or a, as a client or a customer, you ask for something that's a little bit out of the ordinary, yeah, mm-hmm. and the guy can't be flexible to, because he's been told the rules are like this and you can't move, yeah, or standard operating procedure is so rigid the guy can't do anything. And the first thing he says to you when you ask for something a little bit out of the order is, hold on a second, I'm going to have to talk to the (laughs) manager." Well, customers really don't want to hear that, yeah? You just want the first person you speak to to solve whatever problem you might have, yeah? Yeah. This is is really uh, to be adaptable to the customer, yeah? Because these people are customer-facing and they should have the freedom, yeah, to take little incentives. It's like, for example, you know, someone... uh, someone's had a really bad experience in a, in a restaurant i don't know they're eating a burger or something and it wasn't good or it was cold or the coffee was cold or the burger wasn't well cooked and whatever happened yeah um but if at some time yeah the the person that's serving that burger doesn't have the ability to say okay i'm going to give you you know a, a new burger i'm going to make you another burger so it's going to be free charge, yeah Mm-hmm. Okay, and I'm going to heat this coffee up and I'm going to give you some coffee that's warm coffee, okay, and I'm going to make sure we we, we get the situation back uh, back on the road, yeah? If they don't have the ability to do that and they've been told, no, the procedure is that you have to go and ask the manager and stuff, the guest's not going to care, yeah, because he's just going to wait even more and more frustrated. So it's going to be, it's going to end up uh, in a very bad, in a very bad way, the whole situation, yeah?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, and that's the thing. And, and again, I'm not a hundred percent certain how it is over in, in your neck of the woods, but you know, just kind of what you just said here. I see, um, I, I see a lot of times here in the U S uh, where organization, there's this customer service first, the customer being right uh, mentality above all else, uh, you know, gets kind of used against servers a lot for, yeah. for every yeah. little thing. Yeah. And the, I feel sorry for some of the these, you know, f- and not just at restaurants, but at at uh, grocery stores, at hotels, at resorts, and and you know sometimes the customer is not right, right?
1: Well, I have to agree with this, uh, and here here I have to say that uh, a lot of the stuff I've written, yeah, has been about the fact that uh, that. A lot of organizations, yeah, uh, and a lot of uh, companies and organizations have become far too uh, customer or consumer-centric, yeah? Uh, What I mean by that is they're focusing far too much uh, on the customer satisfaction when, in fact, what's going to lead to the greatest uh, customer satisfaction is going to be more employee-centric, yeah? Mm -hmm. And I base that, that, why I say that and why I can argue that is because I based that on something called the service profit chain. Yeah. And for me, you have to create internal service value and quality for your employees. Yeah. If you wish them uh, to become satisfied, to become, uh, to have purpose, uh, to be engaged with the company, Yeah, to believe in what your, your company is doing, you have to, first of all, offer them internal service quality. Yeah. Now that could mean, as I said earlier, it could mean the, uh, the working conditions, yeah, the physical working conditions. So workplace design, you know how their job's designed. It could mean uh, they've got the right equipment to wear, they have the right tools for the job. As I said earlier, uh, that the uh, there are rewards, they're recognized for what they do, that they have the correct tools to serve the customer, yeah? Now, if they have all of those things that I just mentioned, yeah? That's, you're giving service to your employees, you're treating them as a customer, yeah? So you're treating them as your internal customers. Now that leads then on to employee satisfaction. Now, the the great thing about employee satisfaction or employee engagement, as people like to call it today, yeah, is that then employee retention is going to be much better, yeah? So turnover is going to reduce because people are going to be happy to come to work every day and stay in that job, yeah? Mm -hmm. The productivity is then going to go up as well, yeah? So who says productivity goes up? It means that uh, you're basically your costs are going down. while well, your revenues are going up, and at the same time, because those guys are happy now, this is nothing new at all, yeah. But those you've just made your employees very happy doing all this, and they're going to give better service to the customer, yes. Yeah? So the external value, not the internal value, but the external value to the customer is going to increase in value, and then your customer satisfaction goes up. And when customer satisfaction goes up, so does customer loyalty, which then leads to increased revenue and increased profits. So I like to call that the service-to-profit chain, yeah?
0: Mm. No, I I love that. You know, again, for folks here in in the States, uh, there's no better example of what Rob has just said but uh, Chick-fil-A. You know, there's a famous – now, Chick-fil-A is a little controversial here because of some of their stances Mm -hmm. on – Uh, LGBTQ rights issues, uh, Mm -hmm. mainly the Cathy family, not the company itself. Mm -hmm. But there's a famous story about Dan Cathy uh, being interviewed once and somebody asked him, uh, you know, how many customers Chick-fil-A had? And he spouted off, I think he said it was 6,300 and something, right? Mm -hmm. And the person looked at him very perplexed and was like, wait, you're the second leading fast food chain in America, you only have 6,300 and some odd customers. He goes, well, no, you didn't ask me how many customers the fast food chain had. You asked me how many customers I have. I have 6,380 some people that work for me. Those are my customers. Yeah, They serve those other people. Yeah, And and what what I like about this and what I like about what you're saying, and uh, I'll share another story and very interested to see what you think about this one is, mm-hmm. uh, Malcolm Gladwell, um, uh, yeah made a great point during one of his TED Talks that the customer doesn't actually know what they want most of the time. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: He said, if you surveyed 100 people what type of coffee they want, they're going to come up with some variation of a rich, dark, hearty roast. But if you give those same people a rich, dark, hearty roast, 99% of those people, the first thing they're going to do is add milk and sugar to it. So what they really want is a milky, sugary coffee drink. And if you enable your 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 customers, the the customer service people working for you, to be kind of like a guide for the customer to help them get to what they really want, right?
1: No, I think that's a, I think it's a great example, and I think the the uh, it's it's this is this comes back to this 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 kind of agility as well. It's to, it's to really it's to personalize the service because yeah, you can always have a standard operating procedure where you know you're just you're just there to prepare that coffee exactly how it's meant to be prepared in the menu, yeah? But then these little things like, uh, you know, you, you, would you like some sugar and milk added to that sort of blah, 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 like like we were saying, yeah? Uh, and coming back to what you said earlier as well about the number of uh, customers, yeah? 6,300, six, six, yeah? I really believe that that's, that's a really great way to see it, yeah? To, to take care of your internal customers, yeah? Uh, and when I explained earlier this uh, service profit chain, also brings to mind, actually, uh, what you said as well. Also brings to s- some mind something said by J.W. Marriott, yeah, himself, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like the biggest hotel chain in the world now. Uh, he said, right at the beginning of the inception of his company, he said, take care of your people, they'll take care of the customers, and the business will take care of itself, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah.
1: So, yeah. and that was very, obviously very successful for him, wasn't it? <laughs> <So> <laughs> Just a million hotel rooms.
0: <laughs> Just a little bit, but but you know I mean but that's a very valuable thing there, right? Is and and it takes some of that pressure, it takes some of that pressure off of the business, uh, to to try to be that uh, service to everybody. You you give yourself a more focused group to to serve by saying, hey, I want to take care of my employees, make sure they do their job, and by doing their job, that's going to take care of the business. It's it's putting first things first right
1: yeah well there's a very very it certainly is putting first things first because the proof uh the proof of that is uh you know how everyone today including i don't know if it's including yourself probably including yourself yeah when you're going on holiday today yeah uh, whoever's going on holiday you're always going to look at something aren't you You're going to look at Tripadvisor, advisor yeah mm-hmm. and you're going to look at trip advising and find out okay is this hotel is is, is it the hygiene okay in the rooms uh, are the rooms nice? Uh, you can see some pictures of the rooms. Uh, but what you're really looking for is you want the opinion of the people who are already here, yeah, already there. 98% of the time, yeah, when you have a negative comment on TripAdvisor, it's nothing to do with the physical product, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's to do with service. Right. Okay? It's, it's 98% of the time, yeah. I mean, you know, I remember having so many meetings with my executive teams and talking to them about this and saying, listen, guys, what we really need to concentrate on is service. It is the differentiating factor, yeah? And I think whether it's a fast food chain, whatever service se- part of the service sector we're in, yeah? So it's a fast- it can be a fast food chain, it can be a, a retail outlet, it can be a, a store, yeah? Uh, you know, just doing your shopping for food, whatever it is, yeah? What's really going to differentiate... One organization from another is the level of customer service, yeah? Because if that goes wrong, the very first thing that's going to be up is is going to be a complaint about the person that was standing in front of you, yeah? Not about the quality of the food, not about the quality of the hamburger or the quality of what you just bought in the shop, uh, whatever kind of thing it was, yeah? But it's going to be about the people.
0: And I love what Rob just said here because it's true. and It's something I've kind of had to... uh, it's kind of a habit I've had to get my wife into because she's that person. She'll, she'll go look at the reviews and she'll just stop at the stars. And I remember, I'm not going to say the name of the restaurant because I honestly can't remember it, but we were looking at a restaurant and doing exactly what you just said. And we go on Yelp and it had, I think the average was like two and a half or something like that. And she's like, I don't think we're going to try it. Well, but it only had a handful of reviews. It was new. And I said, well, let's see what the reviews actually say. And so they've got the yeah. thing there where you can see like the top positive and negative review. Mm-hmm. What was interesting to me was the top positive uh, review, the The text said, um, and what did it say? It said, I'm trying to remember exactly how they worded it because it's important here. It said something to the effect of, the customer service was outstanding. The food was just okay. Mm-hmm. The The top negative review was like a, a it was one star, and the person started with, um, you know, I would give them zero stars if I could. The customer service was terrible. The food was brilliant. That was probably five stars, yes. but the customer service yes. sucked. And so you had the same restaurant. You had a positive review. Because they had a great customer service experience, but they thought the food sucked. But then you had a negative review that said that uh, the food was terrible, but the customer service was great. So that goes back to the thing, you know, customers a lot of times don't even know what they want. And they don't know how to write a good review yeah. <laughs> and use a rating. No, uh, you're, absolutely,
1: you're absolutely right. And again, uh, you know, wherever you are, um, if you look. Uh, <clears throat> how people judge the the, the experience they've had, the, the service journey they've they've undertaken as a customer, yeah. Uh, what's always going to be is going to be about uh, the person that was facing them, yeah. It's not going to be uh, about the product, yeah. And the, the proof of that is uh, if you uh, if you really um, uh, most of the hotels or most of the uh, let's say most of the food outlets, hotels, uh, supermarkets, you know whatever we're talking about, basically. You know, okay, they can change the paint, the color schemes, and so forth. But basically, they're in the same places, yeah? What mm-hmm. makes the difference is the people, yeah? Now, and people are creatures of habit, yeah? So if you have a good treatment, yeah, in one place, yeah? if If you're like me, you're going to keep going back to the same place again and again because you know. First of all, they really do care about who you are. They know your name sometimes, yeah? Mm-hmm. Or they know who you are, or they recognize you. And all of these things count so much today, because you've got so much standardized service going on that when someone differentiates just a little bit, yeah, it's very easy today to make those consumers loyal to your brand, yeah.
0: Yes, a hundred percent. And and you know, this is one thing I try to get through to, to some of the leaders that that I work with, uh, with what we do here at the Leadership Phalanx, is exactly what Rob's talking about: is realizing that what goes on in your business isn't limited to just within the four walls of the organization. If you really want to take care of your folks, you have to build those relationships as Rob talked about. But, you know, one of the things I challenge uh, leaders to do is, you know, get to know your people, get to know, get to know, are they married? If they're married, when is their wife's birthday? When is their anniversary? Do they have kids? How old are their kids? Mm -hmm. And, do something to 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 acknowledge that you know. Send them an anniversary card. Uh, do you know? Give the wife a call on her birthday and say thank you and and happy birthday. Because there's a big difference when you have when you have to ask that husband or that wife uh, to go out of town for two weeks and leave their spouse behind with kids. There's a big difference in that response versus uh, if you have taken the time to build that relationship and they know you. <coughs> Versus not knowing you. And you can get your employees, and this is not a manipulative thing. This is a, a, what we do for people we know, love, and trust. They're willing to do those extra things, right?
1: Yeah, of course. They'll go the extra mile, yeah? If, if they know that they are truly cared for, yeah? Uh, and it's not just to give lip service to this, yeah? Uh, because that's recognized very fast, too, by people, yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so what has to happen is that the, the, it has to become a habit, yeah? That's what I said earlier on these one to one meetings that you have with your your staff that you care about they have to take place on a very regular basis now <clears throat> for me a manager at any level should be received by his direct uh, n plus 1 yeah he should be received should be uh, seen at least at least once per month yeah the reason for that is uh, well first of all like what you just said yeah to check how he is yeah or how mm-hmm. she is just to check it are you okay? Yeah. Is everything good for you? Yeah. And not only at work. Yeah. are things going well on the shop floor with the guys? How are things going with your team? It's also, you know, how are you as a person? Are you fine? Yeah. Because you never know what's uh, what the what the other person is going on in their life. Yeah. You know, it's uh, and they have to really trust you. You know, you might see someone's really down, but they're not going to trust to tell you anything. Yeah, unless you have developed that relationship, which really is based on trust and confidence and in order to do that you have to see someone enough yeah mm-hmm. the second thing is you have to be able to listen properly yeah and that's why i like you know this 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 thing i know a lot of people use this uh, mnemonic which is uh, care which customers are really everything so it spells the word care yeah <laughs> right but for me <laughs> I, I prefer another one which is ear yeah which your employees are really everything yeah yeah and it's called ear Because you use your ears to listen to your employees. Yeah, you know, you should be uh, in these meetings. You should be listening 80% of the time. Yeah, right. To the person that's in front of you, not talking. You should be listening. You should be know how to ask the right questions. Yeah. And then uh, follow up and and show the person that you're you're listening attentively and actively to what they're saying. Yeah, that's how you gain respect and trust.
0: Yeah, no, and it is. It's extremely important, and Rob's dead on, and it's always surprising to me uh, how many people I share that with. And when they ask me where I learned it, and I say, well, I learned this in, in the United States Marine Corps, Mm-hmm. You know they—they're like what? You know, because the Marine Corps has got this—this this image of you know being the biggest, the baddest, the toughest, the meanest, and Jeez. you know we are no lie. Uh, <laughs> but you know we—we we do put that—that that effort in, and we—we we have these conversations, and you know when we have downtime, we get into these kind of deep conversations, and you know some of the things that have shaped me the most are, you know I'm, uh, uh, you know I mentioned I'm from Northeast Tennessee before on this podcast, and. Hearing, you know, one of my best friends was my uh, uh, one of my best friends to this day was my roommate in Okinawa, Japan, and he's a, a black guy from uh, from just outside of Los Angeles, and you know he shaped my perspective and and uh, my understanding of what you know black culture is like in the U.S. Um, had a, my my bunk mate in uh, boot camp was uh, Muslim, and I had to work with him and and be with him as a Christian. Uh, he was my bunkmate, so I had to stay with him during his five prayers a day, and I got an insight into uh, kind of Muslim culture by that. And we yeah. built those relationships and understood each other, and that's where those strong bonds come from. And, and it's the same thing in our organizations. We can do the very same thing. Right, Rob?
1: It's exactly right, because because I think what people forget, you know, there's, there's so much being written today, uh, and, and some of it's very good, uh, about team management, how to manage teams, and how to deal with teams. But well, what people forget is that a team after all is just a collection of individuals, yeah? Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I go back to what I said again is about this the, the understanding the, the other, yeah? Uh, you know, there's, there's there's there are things that are just critical, yeah? Uh, it's to be accepting of how the other person is, of their traditions, of their, their whatever their beliefs are, is to be respectful of that, yeah? And at the same time, is to be always authentic yeah never uh, you know never pretend to be someone you're not or uh, be something you are not uh, but to always be honest with people yeah to be fair with people yeah and to be seem to be fair which is also very important yeah to be direct so when you have to you know when you have to tell the hard truth to someone you also have to do that yeah and also to be consistent in your look yeah what i mean by that is uh, you know to to always be uh uh, the person that people are expecting to see, yeah? And you not be some kind of lunatic that changes uh, his behavior completely when the moon, <laughs> when the moon's <laughs> full or something, you know? Uh, well, joking aside, you have to really uh, ensure uh, that, you, you know, you you are someone that the person can count on. He knows what to expect. Uh, he or she knows what to expect when they speak to you, yeah? And they know how the conversation's going to go, and they know that they have the right to speak not only say what they want, but the way that they would like to tell you as well. Yeah, you have to give them that conscious and trust.
0: Mm. So let me ask you this. So if somebody is, you know, maybe a little bit more on the introverted side, they're, they're not yeah. really well equipped at, at starting mm-hmm. these types of conversations, mm-hmm. uh, what advice would you have for somebody in that position on, on how, to, uh, how to get a little bit more comfortable having these one-to-one conversations?
1: well for me there's there's there are two things yeah the, the first thing is you have to be very good at uh, asking questions yeah and not uh, not closed questions not obviously are you happy yeah <laughs> yes or no answer <laughs> that's not going to go very far as a conversation is it yeah uh so you know it's, it's basically asking questions like uh, you know for instance, instead of asking someone they're happy to say you know uh, uh how, how are you feeling today how did you feel about what we did last week uh, how do you feel things are going uh, you know it's, open questions, let, let them give the opportunity to, to open up. Yeah. The other thing is, is to give your meeting adequate structure. Yeah, it has to be structured. So what I mean by that is, uh, is to use, let's, let's take an example. I use a method called the scope, the scope the SCOP method. Yeah. So if I've got a, you know, a senior manager in front of me, whatever department is from, we're going to be talking scope and scope, the sales costs, operations and people. Yeah. So there's four areas. Yeah. But they know in advance what they're going to speak about. So even if the guy or the, the lady in question is an introvert. yeah, uh, They know what to expect. They have the agenda well in advance. So they know how to prepare. Okay, this is very important. Then they know how the conversation is going to go because they know how it's how it's planned. They know the subjects we're going to talk about. Okay, so they have time to prepare. And they know, the guy that's going to be in front of them is going to ask them questions and is really going to listen to them because often uh, what happens when people say they're listening, and I think we all know this happens. We've all done it. I've done it myself. Is uh, when um, you're actually, you're listening, yeah, or you're pretending to listen, but actually what you're doing in your head, you're thinking about how you're going to answer the question the person has just asked you and you're not really listening to what they're saying, yeah? Mm -hmm. So another great skill is to be able to tell the person, yeah? is to be able to reformulate what the person just said, yeah? And that's very important. To be able to say to them, listen, you know, what you just said was A, B, and C. Is that right, yeah? And then they'll correct you or they'll say, no, in fact, it was this, this, and this, yeah? So it's to be a skilled communicator in order to be, put the person so much at ease, yeah, in those situations, yeah, that they can feel comfortable to talk, whether or not they're an introvert or not.
0: Yeah, no, I hope that I, makes I,
1: sense. It was a bit long.
0: <laughs> no, no, it does. It makes sense. And, and, and I love it because, you know, it's true. And, and it, it, what I like about that method there is it, it, it has this kind of unintended consequence of, of letting us know uh, how well we are communicating. And, and I think that's the, the one thing. I, I, if I could get people to understand one universal truth about communication, it would be that communication is less about what is said and more about what is heard. Because you can think that you're making that point crystal clear, and then the person reframes it, like you said, and say something different. And then you got to sit back and say, how did I screw up that messaging to them?
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an extremely important uh, skill because uh, this adds uh, clarity and precision to the communication process, yeah? And it also, you know, it's, it's really, it goes back, I really is, it's, it always comes back to the same thing, doesn't it? It always comes back to the trust, yeah? Mm-hmm. If you want someone to trust you, you have to be clear so they understand what's been said, not only what, you know, that they've been understood, but also that they've understood you, yeah? This is this is crucial, yeah? And and, and trust is built on that too, yeah?
0: Yeah, 100%. 100%. And it's, it's you know, and that's the great thing about this is is what, what we do for a living here. Uh, you know, and this is kind of the dirty little secret, but, uh, you know, I had somebody, I was on a Facebook page, and they asked, like, if you could... If you could give somebody the simplest, you know, leadership advice, what would it be? And I told him, I said, look, it's this simple. Think about how you want to be led, how you want that person to act. Do you want them to listen to you? Do you want them to take you serious? Do you want all of these things that we've been talking about here? The answer is going to be yes. And that's how everybody wants to be led. They want to be heard. They want to be valued. So leadership's not that hard. We know innately in in our fiber what we want from great leaders. So it's not a matter of figuring out what it is that, uh, that it takes to be that. It's just a matter of putting the time and effort into developing those skills to be that person, right?
1: Yeah, and uh, I think what, what people, uh, yeah, and I was just going to join exactly what you said there, because what people forget too, you know, if people have ask me the same question. I would tell them, where, remember that if you're in management, your, your first uh, skill is to be a people person <laughs> it's very mm-hmm. simple yeah uh, and uh you know people don't work for organizations they work for other people yeah, yeah. it's as simple as that otherwise there'd be no need for managers and leaders <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. just wouldn't need them would we nope
0: 100 yeah? i i love it i love it uh, so, so, uh
1: that's the advice out the very first advice i give to young managers basically is that yeah that they don't never forget yeah they're there for the people, yeah. And your first, you know, when someone says, if you ask you if you're an expert, yeah, and you can't answer that, you your expertise is management, yeah. You're in serious trouble already.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's exactly it. I remember working with a young gentleman. Uh, I was his first uh, leadership role, and uh, uh-huh. he made some very questionable decisions. Like they were, uh, I'll, I'll just summarize it by saying they were not very emotionally intelligent. Nah, right. And and when I chatted with him, I said, you know why, you know, we got to the why of it. He goes, look, Mm -hmm. he goes, before I came here, he goes, somebody gave me some valuable leadership lessons. And I said, okay, well, what was the valuable leadership lesson? He said, remember, you're not there to make friends. I was like, well, first of all, they gave you terrible leadership advice, but you you know, if you do believe that you also got to remember, you're not here to make enemies either guy. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> really- I, 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 I just, I gave him a very sideways look when I heard th- his valuable leadership advice was you're not here to make friends.
1: I'm like, well, okay. Oh,
0: it's okay. It's but you terrible, kind of obviously. are. Yeah. So,
1: sorry?
0: No, I no, I said, you know, my, my, you know, my response was, well, you kind of are here to make friends, right? <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah kind of yeah <laughs> it's uh you know it's, it's it's what uh you know it's it's, it's uh, you know it's i don't know if you're a big fan i'm a big fan of uh, ken blanchard myself yeah mm-hmm. and uh so you know i really i really do truly believe in servant leadership yeah you're there to serve yeah you're not there for people to serve you yeah right and and as a leader
0: yeah? yep exactly and,
1: um, and i think i think that, that uh in order to do that yeah you have to as you said earlier yourself you you have to really know the people know them well yeah not just as uh, someone that operates the machine on the shop floor or or serves the customer behind the bar or whatever is going on yeah but also you know how this person functions yeah i mean you know their 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 likes their dislikes you know know something about the person yeah it's so important as you said earlier Uh, and uh these these discussions um These one-to-one discussions for me, it's one of the that together with uh, being able to empower people and to give them the correct amount of autonomy, yeah? Those things together are are really, for me, what's fundamental to all. I agree. I agree.
0: Well, Rob, if you can believe it, we've been chatting here for uh, for about 45 minutes now and this has just been a fantastic conversation and I, I think the the listeners uh, hopefully have already taken a ton of information out of this, but uh, is there anything we haven't had a chance to cover that you would like to leave uh, listeners with before we work to close things out?
1: Yeah, it's just just a couple, of, just a very a very brief one. Yeah, go over right <laughs> ahead. Just, uh, yeah, it's just about my name, you know. If, if anyone's trying to look for me on, on Google me or, or or find me, yeah, uh, the best way to do that is it's really I'm really easy to find. This is good news. <laughs> Uh, Because my name's really, uh, it's really a one-off, there's not many people. It's Robertson's my first name, yeah? So it's R-O-B-E-R-T-S-O-N. And what it means is the son of Robert, so it's easy to remember, yeah, in in Scotland. Uh, The second name is Hunter, uh, which is obviously Hunter, which is H-U-N-T-E-R. And the third name is Stuart, so it's S-T-E-W-A-R-T. Now, if you look that up, Robertson, Hunter, Stewart, yeah, you're definitely gonna you're gonna land on me or my landing page or something to do with me, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the only other person you could actually possibly land on is a is a footballer who plays for Liverpool in, in England who's called Robertson, yeah.
0: Yes, and for the American audience, that's. Soccer, not football. Football. Oh,
1: sorry. Yeah, it's not. It's not NFL. <laughs> right. Right. It's, it's not the Super Bowl. No, yeah. this is this. Yeah, it's true. Sorry. Yeah, it's <laughs> soccer. Yeah, soccer. Yeah. Where they hit the little round ball and you don't throw it. In the- <laughs> <laughs> there you go.
0: And and you know, again, as usual, uh listeners, I'll have the link to uh to the website on there, so you can just click on it and go there, and uh, there there'll be a, a section on there, uh, you know, for uh, books, and uh, you know, again, he's got two books. One-to-One and Employee Power. Now, we talked a lot about one-to-one. What is, uh, uh, real quick, what is Employee Power uh, about?
1: Well, Employee Power is my first book, and the reason I wrote that, very quickly, the reason I wrote that book was because I had a a disagreement with someone uh, uh, about whether or not uh, companies should first first be employee-centric or they should first be customer or consumer-centric, yeah? Uh, So my point of view was obviously to be employee centric. Yeah. And I couldn't, no matter what I did as an argument, I couldn't convince the other person of, of what I was saying. Yeah. So I decided to write a book about it. Uh, and in the book, what I discuss is to say that, you know, what is employee power? Yeah. What is this, this, this power, where does it come from? Yeah. Well, there's, there's various things that, the, uh, they ignite this power if you like. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things is, uh, So those people, they feel uh, like we just talked about, that they're trusted, that they have autonomy, they have empowerment, they have training, uh, they have uh, good work conditions, uh, they have an environment where they can feel safe, where there's psychological safety, where there's work safety. uh, They have all these things. And what it does result in, yeah, is making a much more powerful individual and a much more powerful team from your team members yeah Mm -hmm. and that allows you yeah of course at the end of the day that's what i talked about earlier in the service profit chain is is to really produce a powerful organization yeah which is going to be differentiated and which is going to cause real real really well-founded competitive advantage in the marketplace that's what the book's about yeah
0: Mm, no i love it and I highly encourage folks to go uh, go check those books out. Like I said, that's going to be on the that'll uh, uh, be on the website, and I'll have those links in the show notes. And uh, you know again, Rob, again, so real quick, kind of how we got set up. Uh, Rob found me on on Twitter and reached out, and we started chatting through messaging there and uh, said, hey, let's get on the show, and so here we are, and I just want to say, Rob, thank you from the bottom of my heart for uh, taking the time to reach out and message me and uh, allow me the privilege to have this conversation with you. It has been fantastic, sir.
1: Well, Errol, I have to say, it's my turn to say thank you. I really enjoyed the show. I think it's, uh, it's so well done, and you're such a, a great professional. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, a real pleasure. Yeah? You made it easy for me.
0: <laughs> well, I appreciate it, uh, and and listeners, I hope you uh, you took as much value out of this show as I did. Just having this conversation with Rob again, check out those links in the show notes. Make sure you take advantage of those, and uh, uh, you know, get acquainted with with Rob's philosophies. I think they're fantastic philosophies, and uh, you know, he he's proven that these things work. He's he's got the experience to back them up. So check those out and and take advantage of those. Um, you know how to reach out to me if you have any uh comments, questions, or concerns, just burden.command at gmail.com. Uh, Rob, is there a way they can get a hold of you if they, they want to reach out?
1: Yeah, they can They send me a direct mail. You can send me a uh, Rob Stewart, yeah, so it's Rob Stewart, S-T-E-W-A-R-T, yeah, at uh, it's what's sorry 184184 184, at gmail.com.
0: All right, outstanding. Uh, you know, folks, keep up with uh, what you've been doing with uh, rating, reviewing, uh, and sharing out the show so my great guests, like Rob, can have their messages spread uh, far and wide. Uh, everything you do helps us in those algorithms that get us more visibility on all the various podcast platforms, so really appreciate you taking that uh, that job seriously, and y'all have been doing a great job with that. Uh, with that, we've had a great discussion, and I look forward to speaking with y'all again